What's up, everyone? It's Around the ACL. It's me, Michelle Thompson, here with Trey Ryder and Anthony Ione for another episode. And we're in a weird lull right now. We got no opens. We got no nationals. We're uh, we're like cornhole withdrawals over here. Jonesen. Um, we had <laughs> conferences and things like that, but we didn't get our, our regular opens or uh, nationals uh, for a little bit here. But uh, anything exciting happening in your cornhole world or otherwise, Trey? Well, I actually spent uh, the in all of not all of my Saturday, most of my Saturday here at the HQ. Uh, the Carolina conference event was going on, so uh, uh-huh. Dusty Thompson uh, hired me to do uh, the production, and the live stream, and the commentary for the Carolina conference event. So I watched and called about six hours of commentary by myself. I felt like I was Anthony Ione in the booth <laughs> by myself. You marathon just, single. Just marathoning it. Um, and it kind of got to the end there where I was so tired at the end. I was just kind of getting loopy and like had a second wind. It was kind of fun at the same time. So, yeah. <laughs> no, I got some, got, got, got to see some great, we'll talk about it a little bit later, but got to see some great uh, Carolina Conference event players. So that was, it, it was, it was, it was a good, it was a good Saturday. At least when you get tired, you get loopy. When I get tired commentating, I just stop talking. Like I forget I'm on the mic. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, that, that that can happen too. That can happen too. Yeah. Oh, wait a second. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> Anthony, how about you? Yeah, we had a conference here too. Um, unfortunately, more basketball this weekend. We threw a birthday party in there too, so I I couldn't compete. Um, but I did. I was able to just stop in and just kind of see how everything was going. We had almost 300 baggers uh, in the conference event. So that was, that was a real big one for us here in Colorado. So it was fun to go in there and see people and see everyone competing, but man, I I just don't get to play this game enough anymore. It's really starting to bother me. You know, it's funny. What's funny (laughs) is I went through, I went through all the different results and when I got to that one, I did a little control F I own. I, oh. I was searching for Ion to see where yeah. he finished in there. I, I, I'd have done some work. I'd have made you proud, Trey. I'd have made you proud. Every, every, everyone who, went, who won is is the people that I, uh, you know, that we go back and forth with. So I think I'd have made you proud. Awesome. I will say that as soon as I started like working in the cornhole world, like through running my league and and girls are two and all this, I've gotten progressively worse. So I I oh, absolutely yeah? blame this. Yes, hundred percent, hundred percent. That's my cop out, at least. I'm going to go with it. All right. So we are about halfway through the season. So we're going to do some analysis on what's been going on thus far. And basically, our top 10 singles happening right now are Matt Guy, Alex Rawls, Mark Richards, Josh Holland, Jamie Graham, Philip Lopez, Jimmy Humans, Jackson Gore, Alex Hicks, and Matthew Creek Killer. So those are our top 10 singles. I would say that there's probably not any big surprises in there, but I am actually a little bit, I I hate to say I'm surprised to see Jackson Gore in there because he's obviously a phenomenal player just because he's PDC, I guess. But um, yeah, I guess I'll start with you, Anthony. What are your thoughts about that top 10 singles? Yeah. So um, I'm going to take a little bit different angle on this because I think, um, you know, success is going to be measured differently amongst the, amongst the whole 256, right? I mean, you can have a successful season, and not be a top 10 or a top 20. So my analysis is going to kind of focus on that important rank singles rank up a hundred. So for those that might not know, why is the hundred mark so important? So a rank 100 will automatically earn you eligibility to return as a pro. So let's say you finish the season at 101, you're out of eligibility via singles, a hundred and lower you're in. So I'm kind of using that hundred mark as a gauge of success, being able to requalify or be eligible for a pro there. So with that in mind, what pros finished last season outside of that hundred mark and now find themselves drastically inside that hundred mark, hence kind of a successful season. So essentially eligible for pro status if this season ended right now. So I kind of want to start with like a, like an Andrew noise. He finished the season last year at 128th He's now holding the 99th singles position. So he's finding himself last season where he was out. And in a tougher field this year, he is now a spot inside that eligibility, hence making the cut. Could be a great season comparatively for him. Scott Lane and Jim Glasscock, similar improvements. They both had similar improvements from last season so far. They jumped 30 position finishes, and they're now well inside that 100 mark at the 71 and the 80th rank 
respectively. Out of the West, we've got uh, Andrew Labrador, who's having a really successful season so far. He almost doubles his rank position. So he was that guy who was the 101st singles rank, just missing the cut. He's improved by his rank by almost double. He's moved up 49 position finishes, holding that 52nd place. So definitely a successful season for, for Andrew so far. These three baggers I'm going to list here, they had similar finishes last season, really right around that same mark. And coincidentally, finding themselves this season around the same mark again, and they finished the season around 130. They've jumped 79 to 86, uh, uh, or excuse me, 50 plus position finishes sitting in that 79 to 86 position. And that is Kaylee Hunter, McGuire Shepard, and Chris Cuchilla. So a 50 plus rank jump, a big one from them well inside that 100 mark. Cameron Presley and Tom Walter, and we saw both of them make some noise uh, at the last couple nationals, really killing it this season. They jumped 79 and 80 rank positions, respectively, um, sitting well inside 100 at the 60 and 39th position. And Trey Meesh topping the charts with the largest improvement from last season and a candidate for a breakout player of the year. We've kind of talked about in the last couple episodes, a bagger out of Colorado, Yeti Irwan, has improved her singles rank 102 positions well inside top 100. So Yeti and I are out of the same house. So I've had the pleasure of not just seeing her success, but feeling it in competition on the board. She's clearly getting better. I mean, just last month, we ran into each other deep in a singles bracket, a 19 round 10 PPR battle. I mean, she's got serious game. And the thing is, is she is grinding. I mean, if you talk to her and say, how much are you practicing? She's one of those three-hour-a-day people right now. If she continues that, I think sky's the limit. So did you want me to go into the unsuccessful now, Mish, or, or, or uh, <laughs> turn it over to Trey? Yeah, no, you can go into it. Keep going. You got, you're rolling. All right, so we're going to talk unsuccessful, right? So I kind of wanted to flip the script on that. So instead of players moving into the 100, these are going to be players who were eligible at the end of the season, well inside 100, and now find themselves falling way outside of 100. Um, actually, before I do that, Mish, let, let me throw something at you here because I found this pretty crazy. Um, this one's for you, Mish. Okay. The ACL teams division, it's made up of captains, right? And these captains were chosen because they were the top-ranked pros at the end of last season. So we're talking about the best of the best. Question for you. Based on the pro ranks today, and you kind of just went through the list there, how many of those captains that made up the top rankings last season – if we were to draw captains today, how many of those captains do you think would be in the top 10? And this kind of feeds into the unsuccessful concept. Oh, my goodness. Well, there's so many rookies on there. Don't um, peek, cheater. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think there's any, right? Because oh, Jamie Graham, Jamie Graham didn't, isn't a captain, right? So the answer is none. Yeah, none. <laughs> so we talk <laughs> about unsuccessful seasons. If we pick captains today, we would find no repeats of captains in the top 10. And as a matter of fact, only four captains would qualify today, and they're the last four seeds. So draw captains today. We have an entirely new one through 12 captains. So that kind of speaks to success and unsuccess uh, in the season so far. So I thought that was interesting. I was just wanted to throw that one out there. But back to the baggers that have fallen outside of the 100. This one's pretty amazing. So we'll kind of start off with four baggers. They shared similar ranks last season. You got Tay Harris, Glenn Gundel, Peter Sasueta, Danny Seals, and Matthew Morton all sat comfortably in that 50 to 70 rank zone. Well inside 100, these boys have dropped 100-ish positions. They now make up the 150 through the 164th rank. Matthew Morton, as we know, I mean, he was a bagger that was top eight in the world in 2020. He's now 150th two seasons later. So when you talk about unsuccessful seasons, you know, that's a good data point. Bobby Fink, Dusty Thompson, and Ricky Gonzalez drop 111 to 120 ranks. They're barely inside 200. And these guys were well inside 100 last year. Topping the charts, the largest fall in ranks goes to a Vince Passioni. Top 50 bagger last year. He sat at 49. He's 234th right now. So... I thought those were pretty interesting, but the biggest surprise for me, and it's not necessarily the, the size of the jump, but it's who fell in that ranks. We're talking about an elite level broadcast level bagger. I mean, someone who 
made his bracket final in a national last year. My guy, Eric Anderson, he fell from 13th to 139th. Now, I would say, though, of all the baggers that I've that have listed with struggles so far, I see Eric Anderson with the highest probability of turning that season around. He can drop that national two as his worst-case finish and really finish out the season much differently uh, uh, in the Nationals plus Worlds and turn that around. But I don't know. What do you think, Mish? That's crazy. Crazy stuff, but, right? The team <laughs> captain thing is crazy. Right. That's a wild stat. It's a wild stat when you really think about it. Wild. But, yeah. On my, on my side, That's I think trade. on what the – yeah, what do you yeah, want to add? single side. I think um, I, I'm Anthony focused a lot on 50 through 100 uh, around that. I think my quick hitters are really around the rookies, and I know kind of beating a dead horse at this point, but the rookie resurgence that we've seen in, in this season has been unbelievable. I mean, you look at that top 10, you have Alex Rawls, Mark Richards, Josh Holland, Philip Lopez. Jackson Gore, Alex Hicks, and Matthew Creekiller making up your top 10 players in the world, all rookies, right? Um, we have a 13-year-old and a 12-year-old in there too. I mean, it's mm -hmm. it's it's wild when you look at the level of competition of, of some of these that are playing. You know, when you look at breakouts, in a way, I think Jimmy Humans has had a really great breakout season in singles, although you won't see it in the amount of spaces. It's just the the relative, right? To make that jump to go from an eight to a nine out of 10 player, it's so much harder to go to a nine to a 10 out of 10 player. I mean, so I think that that breakout that we've seen really impressed with Doug Zaft, Dylan Turpin have both make incredible jumps here on the single side. Uh, we, we've talked a lot about them. Obviously, Matthew Creek killer putting a statement down as a top player in the country, winning a national singles event. So, um, I think I think this season is is really leveled and and really shown us what the field of cornhole is and I, and I foresee as someone that's part of the league and running the league, I look forward and I can tell you, based on now where we are and our field of players, it's it's going to reshape how we bring people in because now now that we're here, now we're at the point where we have such a depth of a field, it's going to be we have to make it harder to fall out of the division and harder to get into it right now. The way the division is set up is, 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 is meant to cycle through some players to bring some people in because people are, you know, starting to get into it. You know, the skill level is, was still developing, but now that we're developed, it's really about getting a core group of pros, developing them as much as possible and bringing in a limited rookie class each season. Um, but yeah, super, super interesting. And I'm curious to know about the, you know, holding that spot because we've seen that be a challenge for most pros. Like they have a really great season, then the next season, not so much. And so it's going to be interesting to watch how yeah. that, that plays out. And I don't really know why that's happening. You shouldn't be losing skill over the years, but, um, you know, that's going to be interesting to, to watch out for. In terms of top 10 uh, doubles, we have Matt Guy, Jamie Graham, uh, Alex Rawls, Trey Birchfield, Jay Rubin, Jordan Power. The Hollands, Cheyenne Renner, James Baldwin, Derek King, Devin Harbaugh, Eric Zockline, Tanner Halbert, Michael Lucas Jr., Michael Dingus, Mark Richards, Philip Lopez, and Ryan Windsor and Isidro Herrera. So some rookies popping into the doubles as well. Uh, just a quick uh, couple thoughts on that, Anthony. Hey, Trey, why don't you take this one? I, I really focus my time on the singles if you want to just talk a little bit about doubles. Yeah. Uh, it doubles a, a kind of the same thing. Um, the, I think, though, for the most part, a lot we thought who was going to be in that top ten is there. So, mm -hmm. in a way, I kind of, I kind of have more to talk about people that are shocking me and, and almost disappointing in a way, right? What, Ryan Windsor and Azizra Herrera. Yeah. I mean, yes, they're right at the outskirts, right at that number ten position. But this was a team that I thought was going to be competing for a world championship. And I haven't seen that level of caliber play so far. Adam Hissner and Cody Henderson, right? I mean, we yep. saw them make a decent run in Atlantic City, but we're talking about a team that we considered a top five in the world, and they haven't come anywhere close to that. Steven Bernaset and Tom Gustafson. I mean, a team that literally, unless your last name was Guy, 
Yes. You were, they were not losing to last year. <laughs> this year, they can't get a string of multiple wins together at all. I got one more, and I'm going to get in trouble for this one. And it hurts. <laughs> it literally hurts me to say this. But Sam Finley and Rosie Streaker. Yeah. I mean, Rosie is my girl. She, I mean, she's on my content team, right? Sam has one outwardly been one of my favorite players, but haven't seen him in a women's doubles final. Neither Rosie or Sam is in the top eight of women. Rosie is not even in the top 16 of ranked women as far as pro singles go. When you, so when you talk about trying to get into that pro invitation at the end of the year, neither one of them in it. Sam is, I believe, 14th on the individual singles rank. Now, you see him on social. They're kind of playing along with it, and they like it, which is good. They're, they're being light. They're staying light with it, um, kind of taking it in jest. But at the same time, I'm like, I'm just ready for a rosy streaker, Sam Finley, to make it back to a, at least a women's doubles final, make a good run in singles, uh, do something a little bit different. So, um, so ultimately, yeah, it's, uh, man, just a little different, different vibe. Yeah, no doubt. I would add to that just on the success side, um, you know, just what we're seeing at a Harbaugh and King right now, whether that's sustainable or not is to be determined, but sitting currently at fifth in the ranks right now, they finished 13th at nationals one came out and took third at two. No one would have thought, you know, King made a turnaround that quick, like he has. So uh, definitely successful on them. And then of course, Hogan Trzinski, uh, you know, that last nationals, they 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 fell quite a bit down. You know, we really yeah. wanted to see them repeat that, but I mean, they're still up there. I mean, they're still up there in the ranks. They're sitting at thirteen. Those bonus points coming into play when you yeah. win your bracket, really coming into play right now. So they're still in contention, even though they finished. I think it was like sixty something overall. Uh, they could still be in contention with those bonus points. Absolutely. All right, we'll just have to keep watching and see what happens. Maybe this one of these first two nationals is going to be dropped by some of these players, so we see an improvement in those rankings. Only time will tell. But it is time to bring on Mike for Morton's Corner. Welcome, Mike, to the show. Hey, guys. Hey, uh, Just real quick on, on things you guys have already talked about so far, I just want to throw in there. Anthony, I was tracking the uh, the cut line last year very, very closely, and, and I got okay. to tell you – after two events, you can almost throw it all out. No, nothing, honestly, nothing really started to take shape until after three events. Um, and even then, with the fact that the worlds take so much priority, yeah, um, you know, it's it's never too soon to look at where you are and start thinking about it for sure. But uh, I expect to see those lists drastically shake up in, in both directions. Um, over yeah, the then you hit half. that nationals four, you drop your worst. And then the whole list right. could reach level. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. And um, you know, it, if you looked at, and maybe this is something I'll take the time to do. If you look at the list, I might even have it somewhere after two nationals last year, and then look at how it finished. I, I would be more than willing to bet about a third of those names swapped swapped in and out. Yeah, I bet. And then, so yeah, but no, interesting analysis. I. I I absolutely enjoy looking at stuff like that. So, and then Trey, you got my, my brain thinking about something. There's this analogy I've been using. It's maybe not a perfect analogy, but with the rookie class, um, if you can imagine a track and field event where you've got your relay racers and they're all sitting on their, their marks and they're waiting for their relay runner, their teammate to get to them with the baton, they never stand still waiting for the baton, right? They get a little bit of running start, running start, running start, and then their teammate catches up to them. They pass the baton. I almost feel like our pro division to a large extent, of course, there's exceptions. They were standing still stationary waiting for this rookie class. We talked about how good the rookie class was going to be. Come on, come on, come on. And then they were all just standing at the starting line waiting for the rookies. And when the rookies got to them, they had a running start. And now all the pros are looking at each other like, what? And the rookies yeah. are now 25 strides ahead of them because the, the 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 returning vets were just waiting and waiting and waiting stationary. And then the, when the new pros hit the field, when the rookies got here, they were they had a running start. And now all the vets are trying to figure out how to catch up. Yeah, yeah. I I, I couldn't I couldn't agree more. I think it's a great analogy. Yeah. So anyway, um, with those those comments aside, 
I, I just wanted to dive into something maybe just a little more randomy and, and something that we don't really look at a whole lot. Uh, what I what I started looking at over the last few days was opponents PPR. So how many times does a player come off the board and just say, man, that was just that was I had no chance. You know, my opponent was on fire. I, it was a rough tournament for me. <laughs> Every lot. Every loss. Yeah. <laughs> Everybody I threw against was just throwing absolute fire. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and sometimes it's true. Sometimes it's a it's a mental perception thing. Um, and if 250 people all think that they had it rough, you know, the reality of it is most of them really didn't. So um, what I did was I took the uh, opponent's PPR for the first four events and looked at the top 25 of the opponent PPR stat for each event. And what I found was something really interesting. Well, I also looked at, let me just say this, I looked at the bottom 25 opponents' PPRs as well. And I found something really interesting. Matt Guy, four for four, all four events, two doubles events, two singles events, his opponents averaged over a 10 PPR every single time. Um, His opponent's uh, PPR was in the top 10 all four times. And... You can explain that numerous different ways, um, ranging from blind luck to psychology, where his opponents absolutely played their absolute best game because they knew they needed to, to the fact that because he stayed in the winner's bracket so long, he plays a lot more high-quality opponents. Therefore, his opponent's PPRs are going to naturally be somewhat higher. But, um, you know, with all that said, I wanted to get your three's take on why you think Matt Guy, he's the only player four for four. Cody Johnson, by the way, three times out of four, his opponent's PPR was in the top 10 ranking. Um, those are the only two, Matt Guy four for four. So I guess let me start with with uh, Anthony. What, what do you think about that? Yeah, a couple things, and you mentioned a, a few of them. So I, I certainly think for a guy that never finds himself in the loser's bracket, he's always going to be playing the, the best possible competition. It only gets harder every round, so obviously PPRs are going to be high on your opponents. Um, also, the fact that he always leaves a clean board. I mean, he's not trying to do anything but put bags in the hole. So as an opponent, I'm always presented with an open hole. I mean, I can run bags all day and improve my PPR. I think the other thing is maybe more in – Misha's category. I mean, psychologically, when you play Matt Guy, you're not supposed to win. You're not afraid to tell anybody, oh, yeah, I got beat by Matt Guy. So I think right. that takes off a lot of the pressure and you're just kind of playing and you're not really worried about what the heck you're doing with your stance and your grip and my releases off and, you know, whatever. And I think you just throw the bags. I think those three things contribute to, to PPR. D, opponent PPR. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, Trey, what so- do you think? Yeah, so you 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 teased me ahead of this, so I got to do a little homework. So what I did was I took Matt Guy, Matt Guy, and I just did singles. So I took Matt Guy's fourteen games in singles that he has played thus far this season, and each game I looked at what his opponent's PPR was in that specific game, and then I compared that to what that player's tournament PPR was in that event. Okay. I was on my way to doing that, Trace. You're ahead of me on this. So I'm interested to hear what you say. My guess, I I think I got a good idea where you're going. So, and the reason why I say, I don't know if Mac, I psychologically gives someone an advantage or some to where they throw better, or he's necessarily getting someone's best game because it's Matt guy. I'm more in the belief, based on the numbers that I see, that Matt Guy is simply getting somebody's best game because they're playing the best game. Here's a couple statistics. At the kick at the cornhole mania, okay, the difference, the average difference across seven games between a player's tournament PPR and the game they play Matt Guy, it was 0.32 points per round higher against Matt Guy. So that's actually maybe a significant increase. No, that's significant for sure. On the other side, at the kickoff battle, Matt guys playing against Matt guy versus their tournament B- PPR was negative 0.11. So over an average of all 14 games that Matt guy has played in singles thus far this season, 
the difference between tournament, sorry, the difference between game versus mm-hmm. Mac guy and tournament PPR is plus 0. 0.10. So it's plus 0. 0.1, the difference between all of them. Now let's dive in a little bit deeper. Okay. Let's take the last three games played in bracket play. The differential is Jimmy humans plus 1.06. Josh Holland plus 0.36. Steve Schroeder plus 0.55. All of those are huge chunks. But if you look at the first half of the bracket, it's 0.38, negative 0.61, negative 0.14, and 0.59 for the Cornhole Mania. Going back to the kickoff battle, the top three are plus 0.12, plus 0.54, and negative 0.19. So again, relation to everything else, pretty high. The bottom four are 0.17, negative 0.32, negative 0.07, and negative 1.04. So I say all that to say what this is shaping up to me, and this is what I'm seeing with no analysis, seeing with no analysis, the first half of the tournaments, people are throwing worse against Matt Guy than they have thrown the entire rest of the tournament. Yeah. At the top, at the end of the tournament, people are throwing better against Matt Guy than they have the rest of the tournaments. Okay. So that to me can explain, be explained by um, I'm getting better as the tournament goes on with more and more repetition, right? That's my analysis on that. As far as being somewhat, uh, being overall Matt guy, being this person that's getting unbelievable competition, I am, I am personally apt to believe that an overall plus 0.10 points per round average across the entire tournament can more so be attributed to the fact, like Anthony said, I am playing an open board game. I'm putting bag after bag after bag in the hole. I'm not playing some type of dirty style game. So it would make sense to me that overall we'll see a little bit higher of a points per round average comparison. So I say all that to say, I'm not sure I'm seeing a ton in that on the opponent PPR. It might just be because Matt Guy is playing against high level competition, but who knows? One other thing that I will mention, Trey, is, you know, you mentioned that late in the tournament, the the players seem to be playing better or having higher PPRs against him generally. Um, Also inflating the overall stats. I shouldn't say that in a bad way, but just generically making the numbers bigger. Those games tended to be very competitive and very long. He had a lot of really close games with super high PPRs that's going to just generally speaking, raise all of the PPRs that you just talked about. So, all right. So a little bit of a a different come from, yeah. Like I don't, I don't disagree with what you're saying. I just have a different explanation for it, I guess. And I I made a slide to kind of show this um, because you talked about how they got progressively better as they went through the tournament and they got to back eye for that higher PPR. And I would attribute to actually that. So when we're under stress or pressure, we can be under two types and one makes us perform better and one makes us perform worse. So we have fight or flight, which we know is like the, your palms are sweaty and you're, you know, you're making mistakes and you can't get it together and all of that. And then you have what's called the challenge response. And that's when you actually feel the pressure and it makes you perform the best you've ever performed. And they look really identical. And so my guess would be that these pros that are making it that far are calling on to that challenge response, whether they know it or not. And so they're just performing at their highest level they've ever performed versus this fight or flight, which makes you make a lot of mistakes. And the only difference between the two of how you choose challenge or fight or flight, and this is obviously unconsciously choosing, is one, you walk up and you're nervous and you're like, oh man, I don't know if I can do it. And the other one, you're like, I'm excited. I can do this. And you have more courage. And that's how you call upon the more helpful. And it actually releases a different kind of hormone, cortisol versus adrenaline. So there's a lot of things that come to play that make you perform better. And my guess would be that these players are just in that challenge response when they're meeting him and they're doing the best they've ever done. 
we're supposed to be the ones to nerd out, and Michelle just nerded <laughs> out. Oh, if it's psychology or human hey, behavior, we I gotta remove the paper on our stats. This, this one's for you, me. <laughs> 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 now, okay, guys. Yeah. Now we know how Michelle feels when we start talking statistics. Exactly. <laughs> now we yeah. understand. We're there. I love it. So, yeah, yeah, I love it, Mike. I think I uh, it, Mike. everything that we all talked about, honestly, I think it all comes into play. I do think some players walk up to the board against a player, and not just Matt Guy, but players of his quality and caliber, and they just melt. They 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 just have a bad game. They're not in it mentally, and and you know they just fall apart. Others bring their absolute A game against the higher quality competition. They're going to throw better. Um, but some some uh, random luck comes into play. Um, what was the bracket like? Did that guy just eat lunch? Is he not feeling good? You know, whatever. Some random luck comes into it, um, as well as the, the play style of the player. You know, you play the open board, you're, you're going to be susceptible to having higher PPRs against you. You play a dirty board game, you know, it, it goes opposite. But I, I think you'd find amazing. There were some weird names on Tony Smith one time had a, uh, um, you know, opponent's PPR in the top 25. You know, he's one of the best defensive muddy game players that there is. Yeah. So how do you explain that? So very, very unusual, very weird. How important is it? I really don't know, but I had fun looking, looking at those things. Um, I, I will say that overall, again, Matt Guy is the only one four for four. Cody Johnson, three times out of four, his opponent PPR was in the top 25. Um, there were 13 players two times and then 67 different players only appeared one time. So it was a good random smattering. Now, what I found on the flip side of the coin was a little different. There was 19 players that had opponents PPR and the bottom 25 two times. Um, nobody had bottom 25 PPR three times or more. So very, very randomly scattered there. 62 different players had a uh, uh, opponent's PPR of, you know, in the bottom 25 once. So that was just very random. And, you know, it almost seemed like the top 25 was a lot more organized and lined up as opposed to the bottom 25. So interesting, fun stuff if you're into, uh, yeah, into numbers and, and nerdy stuff. <laughs> well. Awesome. Well, that's really interesting to look at. So we appreciate your time, Mike. Thanks, Mike. All right, guys. Until next time. See you, Mike. All right, let's keep rolling. We are going to talk about teams. Our top teams right now are the Woodchucks, who are seven and one, the Sharpshooters, who are six and two, and the Freeze, that are six and two. And Trey, I know you have some thoughts about what's going on in the teams division. Do you have a quick few words there? Yeah, yeah, I'll just uh, I'll take this one since Anthony Anthony got so much out of, out in the first segment. I'll, I'll I'll dominate the conversation this time. How's that, Anthony? <laughs> Sorry, my <about> bad. <laughs> <that>. uh, <laughs> I'm just giving you a hard time. Um, so uh, really, I just want to kind of look at our top two teams. Um, top two teams: Woodchucks and Sharpshooters. Freeze are also six and two. I think the Sharpshooters are a better team. That's an opinion. Um, so my top two teams. They're just really good. Um, the key for the Woodchucks is that they've, I think, I really like their roster. They go, they beat the the Cutters five and two, just a pretty solid win across the board. They lose to the Sharpshooters uh, four to three. I'll talk about that more in a second. They beat the Shuckers four to three, and they really just beat them because overall their lineup I thought was better. They go head to head, and then they beat the Maze five and two, and they did that with the number one seed from the Maze losing, and that was Leston Allen and James Washington. So the Woodchucks are really good, and that was even with a bad loss by Mason Morgado and Blaine Rozier. I argue they should have gone six and one in that game based on how they played. So when you look at the Woodchucks and their lineup, they are just consistently just good. I mean, seven and one, they're winning games that they're supposed to, and they're getting games and wins by their flex teams. And my, when I say a flex team, it's, I know my heavy hitters are going to get wins. And I know my last round picks are not, you know, on average, not going to get many wins, but it's the people in here, that middle range team that has to do really well. They're getting that from Brandon Davis and Sean Markov. Most of it, um, they're getting it from Jeremy, Jeremy Frazier and Johnny Cox. They're getting those middle round wins. Real quick onto the on the sharpshooter side, kind of the same thing. 
They're being headlined by Jacob Trzinski and Jimmy Humans. That's the really strong team. But honestly, they 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 beat the Woodchucks, they beat the Timber, they beat the Gushers, but lose to the Shuckers. And the Gushers game, they won six to one in absolute domination. And they do that again with two teams in particular. They're flex teams beating top-level talent. In the game against the Gushers, Dusty Thompson and Andrew Guy beat Jordan Power and Joe Neistat. Wow. Wow. Hunter Yacklin and Josh Hill beat A.J. Sims and Eric Anderson. So they go in against the Gushers and completely neutralize their number one and number two overall teams and on their entire team. And when you do that, you dominate. Thompson and Guy also were the deciding game against Dylan Turpin and Alex Ball. So so Thompson and Andrew Guy able to get that win, and that's what the flips it wow. for them to beat wow. Timber 4-3. to three. So what the sharpshooters are doing is, yes, they have some top-level teens, but they've won games with Kyle Malone and Cameron Presley losing. So what I say is the flex teams are really coming out for the sharpshooters, but top to bottom, the Woodchucks are nasty. Yeah, it'd be interesting I mean, to see those, those uh, losses those kind of surprise losses like how did those guys do in doubles did they come out of doubles just like right and then they lost yeah. their game and then the ones winning did well you know like they have a mindset right. going into it i mean somebody may have had an idea the woodchucks would be good i don't know who that person is somebody 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 it's not important it doesn't need to be mentioned all right moving on to news around the league so much news around the league. Um, yeah. We have a lot here. I'm going to try to go through it and, and have a quick few thoughts here and there. But the Carolina Conference that you talked about, Trey, uh, Jamie Graham took first, Duncan Clemmer, Derek Holland, Tyler Porthris. In doubles, we had Derek Holland and Josh Holland, Jamie Graham and Frank Maudlin, and then Kaylee Hunter and Tyler Porthris. Um, any quick thoughts there? Yeah, I was there all weekend. Jamie Graham was really, really solid. Um I thought some of the most impressive players that I saw on the weekend, Jamie Graham, uh, obviously had a really solid weekend, had some incredible push shots. He's, he's got one of the best push shots of the game. He may be the best. Yeah. Um, you know, RVC, you can put Eric Davis in there. But anyway, maybe the second, uh, probably the second most impressive person was Josh Holland, but he didn't have a good single. So that was a little weird. Derek Holland was up there too, but. Jack Gore was unbelievable at times. The Gore brothers, they finished fourth, and I can't remember exactly where Jack finished in singles, but it was up there, maybe fifth or seventh. But Jack Gore at times was one of the most impressive players on the entire weekend that I got to see firsthand. Tyler Flippin Poitras. Yeah. I mean, there were games I kept watching him. I'm like, this guy looks like he hasn't missed a beat. He's throwing slick side game changers, letting the bag do the work. I mean – it was impressive uh, how how good and consistent he was. And then Kaylee Hunter made a really good impression on me. I, I think you could argue she's one of the – she's probably fighting Cheyenne right now for top female in the world. If she plays like she played at times this weekend, you know, she had one game that I called. She was perfect the entire way, literally a perfect game, all the way up until the last round, and that was the winning round, and it didn't matter. But, man, um, some really good stuff in the Carolina Conference. Awesome. Next, we have the Northwest Conference. We had Bob Gallup, Justin Rich, Donald Holt, Bill Gardner for singles, doubles, Dean Norton, Scott Eberly, Rich Gossman. Is that supposed to be Len? Let. It says Let. Oh, his name is, is Let. Let. Oh, Let. my goodness. That's so unique. It was like Let Lamney. And then, my apologize, Let, Tim Renner and Brad Thornhill. Um, I'm going to go into the Northeast and then we'll pause at the mountain South for, for you, Anthony. All right. Mm -hmm. So for Northeast, we had Jimmy humans, Jacob Trzinski, Nick Petuski, and Ken McConnell. And then doubles, Tony Smith, Jimmy humans, Fernando Colon, Mark Burgess, Storm Hogue, Jacob Trzinski, and then mountain South, Tay Harris, Kirk Leslie, Paul Alexander for singles. And then for doubles, BJ Torres, Paul Alexander, Mike Carwin, Eric Kunz, Kunzi. How do you say that, Anthony? Coon. Do you know Coon. that one? Coon. Okay. Okay. And then Whitney Martinez and Jerry Lockwood. Jerry Lockwood. So I know you got to stop in there. Any quick thoughts there on the Mountain South? Yeah. So in the Mountain South, Colorado's really the the muscle 
in that conference. So all top three doubles teams that you mentioned were from, from Colorado. And then you've got Mile High Cornhole. Um, you know, that was the first club in Colorado. So they've been the muscle in the state forever, which is really cool in Colorado, though, is we're having a lot of talent pop up in a bunch of clubs. So you mentioned uh, Paul Alexander. He's out of uh, Pikes Peak, which is Colorado Springs. He's the top player in the state right now. And then arguably the fourth or fifth best player is out of Pikes Peak. So what's cool in Colorado is we're just seeing a lot, a lot of growth and a lot of talent popping around. But the doubles winners, Paul Alexander and BJ Torres, I mean, they're definitely the real deal. Um, you know, these are the guys that I battle in the trenches month and month out. So you win some, you lose some. But what I love about it, and it's probably happening around all these conferences, is you just beat each other up and make each other better um yeah bj torres he is the he's a colorado og i mean he's been the top player for the better part of a de decade he's the one who really got cornhole going uh in colorado and then paul alexander i mentioned he's the one with the tar target on his back he's been the best player back to back years so congrats to my homies on their conference doubles championship uh mike carwin and eric coons took second they've been state champs before really good to see whitney martinez and jerry lockwood show up and third because there's a lot of talent up there i mean if i had to to uh to, to pick a top three they would have been just outside of three and they came a long way um to play in this so that, that's a good turnout for them and then tay harris getting the dub in singles uh, really proud of him on that one the second guy in singles is actually a guy who's coming up kirk leslie I just want to mention him real quick because he's a big student of the game and a big advocate uh of cornhole uh he took the second like, like i said and for anybody out there who's interested in the mental side of the game and misha i know this is a lot on your side too he's he really does a good job of kind of working that as a focal point for him so check that out on uh, on facebook there's a, there's a site called the mental bagger so, so anyone out there looking for anything related to uh the mental side of the game you'll find some good content there that's awesome we got some feedback coming from you anthony i don't know if you want to check your mic while i go through the rest here Okay. Um, we had the Virginia State Championship, the West Virginia State Championship, and the South Dakota State Championship. Um, a bunch of names in there like Jay Corley and Michael Dingus and Michael Lucas Jr., Berkeley Pear, James Baldwin. A um, lot, lot of great players in there. So good job to everyone and all the cornhole happening this weekend. We are going to move into our next uh, segment here, which is the Pro Doubles Power Rankings. So we're going to talk about the, the Pro Doubles coming out of Cornhole Mania. Uh, Trey, I'll start with you. Go ahead and, and hop into it. All right. So we always, Anthony, we always make people upset when we do our power yeah. ranking. So let's make some, let's make some more people upset, right? Um, <laughs> I thought coming out of Cornhole Mania to do doubles, doubles felt a little bit more chalk, and I didn't have to move the rankings very much. I felt like what I was seeing in the rankings was pretty true to what I was feeling as far as who's playing really well right now as a doubles team. So I'll go through my top 10. I'm going to start with number one, uh, Jamie Graham and Matt Guy. I had them, I believe, at number one, even coming out of the first event. Um, and I'm not going to move them for winning. <laughs> so <Right>. um, <laughs> What? Is that how that works? <laughs> yeah. The number two is going to be a shock because um, I'm just going to shock and awe, right? I'm going to pick a team that hasn't even made a broadcast yet. At number two, and that's okay. Derek and Josh Holland. I think Derek okay. and Josh Holland are legitimately the second best team in the country right now. I think they are nasty, absolutely nasty. Number three, I have Alex Rawls and Trey Birchfield. So Alex Rawls and Trey Birchfield, a team that um, has made both broadcasts. Uh, they're consistent. They're they're very good. Um, I'm okay putting them at number two. They may even get to number one, but Trey Birchfield has to play a little bit better. Never thought I'd say that. Number four, I have Jay Rubin and Jordan Power, um, team that put Guy and Graham to the brink in their bracket final at Cornhole Mania, 21 to 20, the final there, but they get the loss. They, I think they're fourth right now. They may be third. So they're right where I have them as far as ranking goes and, and rankings in both power rankings. Number five, a little bit of a shock here. Not a shock, but I'm bumping a team up again. Mark Richards and Philip Lopez. I think these two are legitimately a top five team in the country right now, mostly because you guys know how much of a fan of Mark Richards I am already. Um, Philip Lopez really impressed me when I saw him then play. And part of the reason I have them at five when Renner and Baldwin are five is because they beat Renner and Baldwin. So I have Renner and Baldwin at six, Cheyenne Renner and James Baldwin. Um, 
man, they just feel like a solid doubles team. I mean, and and really, if you look at them, they've lost to Mackay and Jamie Graham. They have lost to Mark Richards and Philip Lopez, Cody uh, Cody Johnson and Kyle Malone. I mean, those are their losses, right? I mean, so when, when you look at someone overall that's a really strong team, I mean, they got to be a, a top, easy shoe-in for a top 10 team, borderline top five. I got them at six. Seven, um, I kind of reached and brought somebody up again. I have uh, Cody Johnson and Kyle Malone. If you win an event, I'm not going to drop you out. I don't care what you do in your second event. You won a pro doubles national. Now, if they follow that up with two back-to-back, then we can talk about dropping them out. But right now, you can't tell me that the kickoff battle, a kickoff battle was a fluke because I can turn around and say that the Cornhole Mania was a fluke, especially when Cody Johnson right now is statistically a top three player across singles and doubles. I mean, there's not a better player out there right now besides Matt Guy um, in, in regards to Cody Johnson. So um, eight, I have Zockline and Halbert. So Zockline and Halbert I have at uh, number eight. I saw at the Cornhole Mania, there was a stretch of play. And I said this while I commentated that I thought they were the two best players playing in doubles at the moment. It could be the best team. Halbert fall off a little bit at the second event. Zockline fell off at the first event. They'll get it together. They'll come close. I got Hogan Trzinski at nine because I just, I really love watching Jacob Trzinski right now. And I, I love yeah. putting him in there. And at number 10, I have Ryan Windsor and Azidra Herrera. I tried to give myself every excuse to lead them out of the top 10 because I want to. I want to put him at 15 because I want to, I just want to make him work a little bit, but I'll leave him at 10 for now. Anthony, you're up. Yeah, so I think we have my coming through, Misha. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Uh, we have a lot of similar some similarities. The ones that you don't see in my list are just right outside. But number one, yeah, Jamie Graham, Matt guy, overall dominant, consistent. Any way you slice and dice the data, they're number one. The next four teams for me, and I think we had a lot of similarities here. I mean, you could rank them interchangeably. I think they're really close as far as talent is wise. I got Burchfield and Rawls at number two. They've got back to back third place finishes, uh, showing the consistency that's needed to be at a top 10. Um, they're having success in singles on their own too, which I think just shows overall bagger strength. Ruben of power at number three. I mean, them boys are killing it this year. They win a bracket. Then they fight for a, a bracket win against Graham and Guy. This one's interesting. Both of their tournament ending losses uh, to the eventual doubles champions. So I think that they're a strong top five team. Derek and Josh Holland up there as well. I've got them at number four. For Holland meeting and exceeding uh, Josh's level, I think that's the key right there. Very consistent back-to-back -back fifth place finishes uh, over the two nationals. Baldwin and Render at number five, uh, their ninth place finish at Natty One. They improved that to a fifth place in Atlantic Atlantic City. Their fifth overall. I like them at number five. Um, uh, Lopez and Richards. I think we had them right around the same or close. Number six. Um, you know, amazing finish in Atlantic City. Uh, but it was really Nationals number one where I got hung up. I mean, they took it was who they lost it. They took seventh overall in their bracket or in their bracket, twenty-fifth overall. But their losses were to Timmy Jonas, Chucky Love, and then they lost to Dingus and Lucas Jr. And I think to be a top three or top four team, they needed to really demonstrate wins there, but still in the top ten for sure at number six. Number seven, uh, we had them similar too. I like Zockline and Albert. Three of their four losses. JB Graham, Matt Guy, Malone Johnson on the day they won the championship, and then they lost to the Hollands, who ended up winning their uh, winning their bracket at the last one. And so um, tough losses for them, got them at number seven. Number eight, I'm going with long-term consistency. You said that too, Trey. I was like trying to figure out how to get Windsor and Herrera in there, um, and it, they moved down for me. I had them at number two to start the uh, season. I got now a number eight. Um, you know, they, they came out pretty good at Nationals. But had 33rd at the Nationals. I don't see we. I don't think we see a 33rd from them the rest of the season. So if they're able to drop that, they, they could easily be in this top 10. Number nine. This one was really hard for me. So the next two spots were really hard. You mentioned Malone Johnson still out there. I'm really stuck. You, you said that the back-to-back -back finish is what you want to see, but I'm really stuck that they took 70 or 65th overall, and then Johnson just overall his statistics look good, but overall. In and singles, just by himself, he's 130th. I just had a hard time squeezing them into the 10. They're definitely right outside of that. And then you got the runner-ups, Hogan Trzinski. They came out and had a 49th. Hogue on his own in singles is 197. So I don't know what's going on there. So this one's a little bit surprising. I'm going to throw Lucas 
Jr. and Dingus in there at number nine. Um, I really like they're really consistent. They uh, took 17th. Then they were top 10 at the last one. Their individual game looks really nice. I'm going to put them in there at number nine. And then number 10, uh, I'm going with an upward upward trending team. Um, they're currently sitting at number eight in the ranks. Freeman, uh, Foreman and Creek Killer. We saw what Creek Killer can do in singles. I think it's really Foreman bringing his best stuff to keep that team in the top 10. But together, I th think they're a deadly partnership. You didn't have you didn't have Harbaugh and uh, King in there, did you? Correct. I have them right outside 10 as well. That's, that's where I have them too, which is funny that both of us kind of have the same spot. And they're currently fifth. So right. I put them outside of 10, you know, we're, we're going to get beat up on that one for sure. Yep. Okay. <laughs> it's coming. <laughs> not, not a very hot take. Uh, talk, speaking of hot takes, running into our hot takes, Trey, you got one? Yep, I got one. Eric Zockline, Tanner Halbert win their bracket at the next national. Okay. It's time. Right. I like it. Anthony. Um, I'm going to go with the singles at the next national. So I think we're going to see Jay Rubin break out in singles. He took 53rd. At Nationals, number one, 77th at Nationals, two. I think we see him in a bracket final at the next at the next Nationals, if not winning the whole thing. Nice. Mine is a is to Wally. Wally talks about every time he goes somewhere for his streams that it rains or snows, and he said Sacramento better be sunny. So I'm gonna my hot take is it's gonna rain. Just for you, Wally. Rain. <laughs> um, just because you always say that it's going to. It definitely won't snow. I can't say that, but let's just say it's gonna be cold and rainy because that's what you called. And that's all we got for Around the ACL. We will see you guys all next week. Thanks for tuning in.